Welcome back to Leatherbound, your favorite podcast where two cousins talk about becoming morally better people by reading some big old books. Now, oh my today- god, Act- Ben, Ben. What? Okay. The show for the last time is an audio seminary on moral improvement via literary masterpieces from the greatest authors, contemporary and historical. I'm literally, literally fell asleep. Sorry. I have absolutely no idea what you said, Hunter. Um, I'm glad that that's what you think our podcast is about, though. We're going to have a great show. I'm really happy that you did that after I yelled bored at you on another podcast. (laughs) Also known as Carl Pulling. So it just feels like I'm getting what I deserve. Everything has come full circle. You might even say karma. So, Hunter, speaking of karma, Mm. we read something that was fairly pro-Bible. And now we've read something that is fairly anti-Bible. Kind of interesting. Yeah. What's wrong with us? We're just all over the place. We're like playing ping pong with our morals, and we're the ball. We're just floating all over the place. We have no idea what's going on. Uh, Today, we are going to be talking about The Moral Landscape by Sam Harris. Is his name Samuel? Is that his full name? Oh, that's a great question. I don't know. I mean, possibly. I mean, he writes Sam on everything, but like, I feel like every Sam is secretly a Samuel, which is also Samuel. He is Jewish, so like... First and second Samuel, Definitely right? Samuel. Like yeah. That, yeah, it feels that feels right to me, but anyway. Yeah. He has the most boring speaking voice of any person. <laughs> if you listen to him, he's just like, Hey, look, science can define morality. Yay. And it's just like, oh dear Lord, please stop talking. Um Hunter, before we talk about the book at all, oh, I, yeah. th- I I was doing some thinking on episode one, and now that we are so far into this podcast. I, I thought I would ask you a little a little zinger to get started that you aren't even aware of. Zinger so boy. We talked about in the last episode how the podcast was about moral growth on our parts. How we kind of mm. started doing this because we were trying to learn and become better men. We also mm-hmm. talked about how we started the podcast to know more about God. So why did we treat those ideas as synonymous? That's a good that's a good question, Ben. Um I mean, one of that you've kind of gotten in the first show is that, you know, we, we definitely are Christians. We definitely have a worldview and that definitely influences the way we see things. Um, so, you know, the, the idea like moral growth and God being closely related shouldn't surprise you, at least from our bias. Right. Um, so there, there's that aspect to it. I would also say that um, to take the God part out of it for just a second. Um, anyone who believes in an ideal that's higher than themselves doesn't exactly know what that is, so to speak. And if you're dealing with that in a, a, if you're striving to emulate that higher ideal, you would, that becomes something that you value and it becomes a moral imperative, right? Well, you can define that however you like. You can choose a philosophy, you can choose a, a religion, you can choose the best thing that you can understand from your experience, right? And I think the easiest way to explain us is that we see that as the Christian God, Jesus, or, uh, you know, uh, Yahweh, right? And and the Trinity and the Holy Ghost and all that. And we think that is um, the ideal moral center of revealed truth that we're supposed to be following after. Um, So the question is, from someone from that perspective, it— you can't pull the two apart, so to speak. Um, 
it's quite a heavy answer to the to right here at the top of the show, but I hope that I hope that answers your question. Did you have more to say on that subject? I have absolutely nothing more to say. That was everything I'd already thought about and more. Uh, fantastic <laughs> job for where I'm sitting. I'll I'll start being more mean to you later in the show, but for now I was just oh, impressed. God. Um, oh god. Well, anyway, I mean, yeah, guys. So I mean, that's oh that's a great intro. <laughs> Kind of, kind You're of already getting into right atheism. I love it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, guys, today we're talking about The Moral Landscape by Sam Harris. If you don't know much about Sam Harris, he is, I would say, probably Hunter in my generation's most famous atheist. It went from Bertrand Russell to Richard Dawkins, and now it's Sam Harris. They're, they're all brilliant, mm-hmm. and we're going to be talking about all of them at some point on this show. And right off the bat, you might be thinking, wait a minute, didn't you guys talk a whole bunch about your faith in the first episode? Mm -hmm. Isn't this like two Christian guys trying to learn about God? What the heck are we doing reading The Moral Landscape by Sam Harris, the same guy who wrote literal atheist tomes? And this is a massive point for Hunter and I. When we set out on this journey, we, we read these books so we've been doing this a couple years now, and when we started reading this, these books, we thought it was absolutely imperative that we read people that we disagree with. Apologetics mm-hmm. is a wonderful thing. Apologetics teaches you how to defend your faith, but the problem is when you're doing apologetics, you're setting up the bad guy that you're going to take down. You Mm -hmm. say, okay, what is the argument I would like to defeat today? You set the argument up and then you punch it back down. And it's like, wow, way to go, buddy. Really tough stuff you just tackled there. You defined your Mm -hmm. own bad guy and you could beat him. And in order to get out of that loop, you have to go read people that are smarter than you that you disagree with. And and that's exactly what we're trying to do is we don't want to attack straw men. We don't want to make things too easy. We're going to read Harris. We're going to read Nietzsche. We're going to read Dawkins. We're going to read a mm. lot of people like this. But we think it's incredibly important because hypothetically, if this Jesus thing that we keep talking about is right, it's going to hold up. So we yeah. don't have a lot to fear. And, and the fun thing is when... I I was talking to someone about this, a Christian, and he said, aren't you worried it's going to hurt your faith? Aren't you worried that these guys are going to post questions and and make points that that you can't answer and it's going to ruin your faith? And I'm going to be honest. Yep. Sure am. These guys are Mm -hmm. incredibly smart, but there's this amazing thing that I've noticed that the more I read, in the beginning, it's so scary and it's so difficult. But the more you get into it... Yeah. And the more you get into it, the more you knock down arguments, the more you learn how they think. And I still remember after Hunter finished the God delusion, it was this huge, massive thing. And we finished and Hunter goes, that was it? And it was just this awesome <laughs> moment right. <laughs> right. that I love. It's supposed to be, your parents told you you can't read that book. You know, that was like one of the more terrifying, don't touch it. You won't be a Christian afterwards books. And Mm -hmm. Dawkins receives a lot of letters from a lot of Christians, uh, basically proving that out. And it's, um, we'll, we'll we'll get more to that when we get to that, but you know, it's also something that when you read it and you can kind of be on the other side of it and go, I'm still standing. Wow. Like it did, it, it, it doesn't kill me. And, um, I still have faith. Um, that's not to say that it's not dangerous. 
Um, Good point. And I think, I think, I think, I think you, I think you would go into this not naively. Um, and I think you go into it. This is, this is going directly to like Christian um, people when I'm saying this is that you don't go and read something against your faith without having a firm foundation and without mm. um, realizing that you could come across something really, really stringent. And I remember actually at one point, I can't remember what the argument was now right at this moment, but I was actually struggling with some idea that I literally sat in my room um, for like a, a couple of hours and just was staring, looking at the floor going, I cannot make sense of this. Wow. I cannot get myself out of this. And I think I'm not going to be a Christian. And I remember sitting there thinking through it and just being like, I can't, I can't get out of this idea. I can't find the answer to it. And just kind of like, getting a little bit lost in that thing. And my wife comes in and she goes, what are you doing? Because typically people don't turn looking at the baseboards when they're just hanging out in a room. <laughs> and I said, honey, I, I don't know what to make of this idea. And I just told it to her. And my wife is many, many things. A philosopher is not one of those things, but she just kind of was there for me to talk to her, if that sort of makes sense. And I just kind of was like, I, I think I've got it. Like by having wow. just the other person to bounce, bounce it off. And it was just like, Oh, I'm okay. I I can see through this now. I can see and I'll I'll say this that that's an excellent faith building moment, but it was one of the more terrifying moments of my mm. life. And you could say that um I'm obviously not doing anybody any justice by re revealing my bias in that because I I can't even tell you what it was at the, at this point in my life, although I'm sure with a little bit of reflection I can get there. Um but but you get the idea is you you open yourself up to that stuff. Um, and I think it's, there's two reasons why you should one, you can prove your faith. And the second is you can be a bulwark for others against those ideas. Mm -hmm. And both of those make it worthwhile. I think that's spot on, man. Um, that was a good balancing out to what I was saying too. Um, sure. Yeah. Well, well, Hey, let's I, get in. I'll always be your yang. <laughs> yin. Um, whatever, whichever one is like the absurdly white one. That's me. Uh, the <laughs> theme of the second season is to be, it is better to be righteous than it is to be right. Meaning, First season. What, what did I say? Episode? Second season. Second se I said second season. It was Man. great. And it's wow. recorded so we can go back and listen to it. Oh, I love it. I can't wait. Uh, we are getting it's way ahead good. of ourselves apparently. And by <laughs> we, I mean me. Um, yeah. The theme of the first season is it's better to be righteous than to be right, which we're going to get into a little bit later on. But first off, mm. we've been going like 10 minutes here and we haven't even talked much about the book. Hunter, it's called The Moral Landscape. What yeah. is the moral landscape and why is the book called that before we get into our three massive points? Yeah, let's do that quick. Um, the This is an exercise by Sam Harris to establish by scientific principles and ideas how morality can be discovered. And the idea within that is that in every state of humanity, there is a landscape of both peaks and valleys, and we should try to maximize the peaks. Yep. Uh, the peaks being the best states of humanity and the uh, valleys being the worst states of humanity, so to speak. And I think Harris would say that he's putting that model forth to kind of go against the traditional model, which would kind of be a straight line, which is there's one best way and there's one worst way to be. Um, That's a good way to think about it. And Hunter, I, just to start off, I think it's reasonable to say that 
I bet we don't fully disagree with that idea. That we don't fully disagree with the idea that there's multiple right ways to do things and there's multiple best ways to be at, at any one given time. It, it's not an absurdly contentious issue, which is hilarious because that's the name of the book. I, I think the name of the book should be something more like science can give you morality because that's, <laughs> that's like the main issue in the book that we need to mm. talk about. So, yeah. Anyway, man. Yeah, I agree. You ready to you ready to jump into the points? Let's do it, man. So, uh, point one, we like to start here. Um, I, you know, I started. I can't remember the first time I started listening or following Sam Harris. You know, but there's actually several things I think um, Sam Harris gets right. Um, one of the problems that I think he I that he is attempting to combat against just like I try to in my own life. And then just like you is moral relativism. Um, I think uh, Sam is constantly trying to say, you know what? There is a right and a wrong. And Sam might have more answers to that than I do. Um, and, and things like that, but he does believe truth is truth. That reason is reason and that, you know, there is right and wrong and there is an up and a down. And we continuously find ourselves in more and more contact, and more and more um, situations, both politically and uh, rationally, that don't seem to add up that way anymore. Um, so I, I love the way you wrote this point, Ben. Uh, moral relativism is a moral cancer on the world because I just don't, th- I just don't think you really uh, got strong enough in your language. Um, <laughs> you know, and so I appreciate you I wrote toning cancerous it down a little blight, bit. actually. Oh, excuse me. Cancerous blight. My mistake. Um, And I want to read this quote from Sam. And I think this is something that we're continuing to see that is just bizarre. Uh, This is uh, from the moral landscape. Um, It says, I don't think one has fully enjoyed the life of the mind until one has seen a celebrated scholar defend the contextual legitimacy of the burqa or a female genital mutilation a mere 30 seconds after announcing that moral relativism does nothing to diminish a person's commitment to making the world a better place. It's, it's a powerful sentence, you know, uh, anyone that's knows anything about what's going on in the world in regards to FGM, you know, clearly can't support moral relativism, right? Hunter, would you define moral relativism very briefly, just in case someone hasn't heard the term yet? Yeah, it's, it's something like, you know, what's right for you is right for you. And what's right for me is right for me. And that goes across cultures, times and a bunch of other things mm-hmm. too. Right. Um, and this, this argument seems to be convenient for the people that utilize it when it's convenient for them and inconvenient and forgotten when it's not. Um, I also so. think it's very convenient for the 21st century person who's highly overwhelmed with the amount of information that they suddenly possess in this magical glowing rectangle they find in their pocket it's a great point. For example, I was talking to a buddy. This is this is a classic example. I'm this isn't how smart Ben is, but I was having a conversation with a guy called Bob, and Bob um was telling me that morals are relative. We were out drinking mm-hmm. and I don't drink to excess. I'll have one or two drinks. And, and is his blood and, alcohol content relative? <laughs> oh, that's Just such curious. a good point. I would have loved to ask him Just that. Just curious. Um yeah. but he goes, hey, man, why are you, why are you not drinking anymore? And I said, I, I just, it's a moral thing. I'm, I'm a Christian and, and I'm not supposed to. And, and he's like, okay, whatever's right for you is right for you. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, I mean, if that's your morality, take it. But like your morality is your morality. My morality is mine. It doesn't really matter. It's, it's just all relative. And 
he was a really humble guy. This guy was great. And Bob and I started talking and we got further into the conversation and we, and eventually I brought up female genital mutilation and, and I said, okay, so mm. what about the warlord performing that act? And, and mm. it knocked him off his horse and he just went, well, I, I guess that's okay. And it was this moment Ooh. where he realized in order to stay consistent, he had to right. be okay with the warlord performing FGM. And it was mm. just this incredible moment for me to see the pure consequences of actually believing, fully believing the the moral relativist mm. position takes you to that place. I was listening mm. to Gadsad and Jordan Peterson have a, have a discussion earlier today. And, and I don't know all that much about Gadsad, but he used a term intellectual terrorism. And I thought that was both hilarious, but legitimately appropriate. It's like mm. you, you find these new ideas that just fly a plane into the world trade center. That is all other ideas like Socrates and Aristotle and even um, recent philosophers have constructed these massive edifices of reason. And then something like moral relativism comes up and it's just like, actually just, just, it's all for you. You just pick. And it's like, are you kidding me? It's so yeah. incredibly frustrating. Yeah. I think the thing that's so interesting about your friend there um, is the the mental mistake that he had to pay in order to feel comfortable with his decisions in what he, he, what he thinks is right. How he thinks that would affect how others would perceive him based on how other people take that position it was too much for him to like change his opinion in the heat of the moment. Right. Um, and that just kind of shows you one, how binding morals can be right. And how they can totally influence an entire population, but also like more relatives. And once it's sunk its teeth in can really hold someone. Mm. And, even in like ignorance there too, like he could be listening to you say that and going, well, I don't know anything about how that culture operates and I don't, maybe they, maybe that's fine there. You know, like you can hear someone kind of arguing yeah. that within their own monologue and it's like, it's, there's a lot of fear in trying to combat moral relativism and a lot of it's ignorance, a lot of it's ignorance yeah. and it's important to kind of be, um, patient and i think that's what you were doing in that conversation ben was you were attempting to show him one at one area where his thoughts didn't work and did you get a convert no but i hope you opened up his his um thinking to where that where that begins to break down hmm. um so yeah and and that's another reason that i think we're starting with this point is we don't want to come onto the show and just be the stereotypical christians who are like everything about sam harris yeah. is wrong and he's dumb if you if you're thinking that even if it's true <laughs> I, sorry we both think that it is so incredibly important to not belittle your intellectual opponents because their conclusion is wrong someone mm. can believe a wrong thing and be a highly intelligent person and a very forceful opponent so sam harris believes some amazingly intelligent things like he says a lot mm. of good stuff about moral relativism which is something i think dawkins is a lot more soft on is mm. something that he's not as willing to breach. And this is an area Sam has to really hit home hard. And Hunter, this is where it gets really interesting because if you're going to fight against 
moral relativism. You end what Sam does at least is ends up pushing for a universal morality and right. universal morality is traditionally Christian territory. We or religion territory or religion yes. territory. Yes. For years, mm-hmm. I mean, hundreds of years, religious people have tried to make the argument, Hey, look, everyone generally has the same moral code. Guess why? It's God. And Sam Harris wades into that water. And I think that's the bravest thing that he does is he doesn't try to softball it at all. I love the fact that you said brave. And I actually think like, despite disagreeing with Sam and what he, what he, um, his argument in almost every fundamental way, I can't help but say that it is brave. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, one in the culture that we exist in today I think it's a brave thing to do to say something like this. And two, to really try to bootstrap this out of what he's attempting to, you know, ground everything in rationality, um, which had he read a little bit more literature, he would have realized that was a bad idea. But maybe maybe that's me being a little mean. But but I do think it I do think what he's trying to do is admirable. And I really, really see that mostly in the cultural sense, uh, despite disagreeing with him uh, strongly on a lot of it. But and there's a lot of other things we like about him in terms of he's a person who thinks that you should have dialogue with reprehensible people sometimes with ideas uh, are important to be shared. He's a member of the dialogue with your opponents. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's why he's a member of the intellectual dark web (laughs) (laughs) to end with a quote from Lewis, uh, because I'll always quote CS Lewis. Men have differed as to whether you should have one wife or four, but they have always agreed that you must not simply have any woman that you like. (laughs) That's a good, that's a good, uh, quote and it's i actually think um that's a good um kind of launching point into the moral landscape um to some extent um sam would agree with that point in a lot of ways um and i i think i think it's good to know that sam would agree with you on that point and i think it's very important to know where he disagrees with you so Mm. i want to I want us to start by um, with this comment near the beginning of the book where, where Sam basically tells you exactly the thesis of the moral landscape. It's a very useful sentence um, or sentences. While the argument I make in this book is bound to be controversial, it rests on a very simple premise. Human well-being entirely depends on events in the world and on states of the human brain. Consequently, there must be scientific truths to be known about it. Um, from a very, very high level, what Sam essentially is arguing for is that the human brain will have states of goodness, badness, pain, love, everything in between. And, um, that's the only thing where well-being comes from as far as human beings are concerned is actual chemical states within the brain itself. Because it's in the brain and not your soul, not your psyche, not your whatever you want to call it, your spirit, right? Because that has nothing to do with the conversation. Science can tell us what's going on there. We can actually understand the states of the brain using science. We can measure dopamine to know how happy you are. We can compare that to your dopamine receptors to know how, you know, how well it works in your brain specifically. And so 
Sam's main point that he'll make throughout the entire book is that the states where human well-being is at its peak, where we can see those states in the brain at their highest point, that is the that is the state of humanity that we should all be striving to achieve. And, you know, at, at some level, that sounds really good. It actually sounds really nice, you know, and and go, and uh, fantastic. I mean, if that was an objective fact, nobody would ever argue against it. Um, so, Ben, do you have anything to? Uh, do, what what comes to your mind when we when we kind of open up on the uh, at the bare bones thesis of Sam's book? Yeah, i I think this is the meat of the book this is this is the big point and this is the place we should spend most of our time and and just to be i, I want to not straw man as much as possible so to give sam the the max amount of credibility or credence i should say we need to to mention that you you might be thinking to yourselves okay well there are some messed up people that get very happy from doing nasty things and and sam does talk about that so he talks about um, different psychopaths. I, I can't remember any specifics, but I'm sure it's Ted Bundy and all the ones that you would think of. And his argument would essentially be, you don't base a rule off of the exceptions, which which isn't the world's worst argument. So I just wanted to add that bit to the intro. And the brain scan technology really is a fascinating thing that we can mm-hmm. study how happy people get. And I don't think he would equate well-being with happiness. And my big issue with this, Hunter, is he never actually defines well-being. Sam Harris is incredibly reliant on feelings in this bit. It is unreal. I watched his TED Talk on this to kind of refresh myself on some of his ideas. Um, And in the TED Talk, he kept talking about, hey, you know how... Um, things like rape are wrong, and you you just know that. Well, there we go. And and I was just left wanting so much because he didn't dive into exactly why that's wrong. And mm. basing morality off of the majority population's pleasure doesn't seem reasonable to me because this seems just like another version of cultural morality. You take what makes the most people happy in the culture and then you go, okay, that's the right thing. Right. It's like utilitarianism in an an interesting way. I think the thing that you said, uh, Ben, that is um, at least utilitarianism as far as brain states are concerned. Um, I think the thing there that you said that's so um, interesting, Ben, is the fact that Sam in here and in other places is constantly wanting you to not necessarily need to prove the obvious. Um, What do I mean by that? He wants you to, you don't need to, you know that rape is wrong, right? So we don't even have to deal with that. Um, You know, good is better than bad. So we don't have to deal with that. Um, And I feel like it's, it's very it's very difficult to buy that argument because then it becomes very unclear how you're measuring morality and how you're measuring better states and you know 
if it's if it's that well these things are obviously wrong then the question should be well what are the things you know that are obviously good and then you know well those are kind of easy to say and it's like okay well how how do you necessarily um know when you're headed in the right direction how do you know necessarily when you're headed in the wrong direction and it would be something like well we can uh, we can see states in the brain that show us things that are obviously good and i think then it becomes well how do i know people aren't lying to me about that is the first thing i think and the answer is you don't know and that's because sam hasn't bothered to make the argument hunter i'm curious about that point i don't think i fully understand it how could they lie with a brain scan so okay so you let's just say that the brain scan is attempting to measure dopamine. Okay. Okay. And and I don't know exactly how that all works, but let's just let's just assume that. And then we can see um scenario X produces uh dopamine 5 and scenario Y produces dopamine 10. Well, scenario Y would be more preferable to do- to scenario X, correct? Correct. Okay. Why is dopamine the right um metric mm-hmm. to assess those two different mm-hmm. states right and so the question is have the scientist told me the proper chemical to pay attention to right? i see what you're saying and then it is am i being lied to by the scientist or it could be what do the science actually know about morality and why should they be seen as a, a good resource for that yeah. it's like well we can see when you have dopamine in your system you look happy you move happy you know it's like well you know, you can keep asking your questions and you'll find that they don't really know. Right. And so just put the, the, the mental uh, exercise to the side, so to speak. Um, You can see that they don't really know the answer. And Sam, Sam seems to constantly want to say that that's not important. And I think, I think to some extent you can agree with him Um, to some extent, all that mental energy is wasted energy, but it also, it's this problem, and we'll probably talk about this more in the season, In the season, Ben. It's the problem with, and Eric Weinstein actually points this out as well, um, if you want somebody else who thinks on this, on this pattern that's probably thousands of times smarter than I am, um, is that the bedrock that that modern uh, moral, uh, that modern um, secular morality, there's no firm foundation underneath that. Right. This is exactly where I wanted to go with this. Perfect. Oh, good. And so I think I and I think I think Sam Sam always wants to say that there. Sam always wants to deal with the moral relative, the moral the moral the moral relativistic question and combat it, but never provides the argument against it because he thinks it's obvious. Mm -hmm. And that's that's where the theory. that's where that idea begins to break down the most for me um, is because it never it's it's like Sam knows it and ta- it's exactly that Sam knows it and takes it for granted and and then thinks that there's no reason for him to prove it in the argument that it's necessary and it's, gets mad at you for asking him and walks out of the room. So, yeah, it's, it's absolutely frustrating, especially since atheists love to berate Christians for not knowing why they believe what they believe. And mm-hmm. they they accuse us of just throwing everything on God. And and that's the equivalent to exactly what Sam Harris is doing. He doesn't have a foundation for why suffering is bad. If you ask him, he'll say it's self-evident. 
And it's like, Mm. no, Sam, it's not self-evident if you want us to base the entire moral framework of the entire planet off of it. You can't build a moral framework because by self-evident, to to make him sound much intellectual, much less intellectual whenever sam harris says intellectual swap it for it's kind of how i feel today like (laughs) like seriously i don't see a way to differentiate the two he's just telling you how he feels i i think that's the point ben is it's not necessarily that sam is it's talking about how he feels in that moment it becomes impossible for you to know when that's happening Hmm. and that's the problem with the argument is because it, it it you don't have the insight in there because yeah. you don't have you don't have the answer and because you don't have the answer you don't know if you can tr- trust the person that's telling you it's obvious good point um so despite it being despite it being and th- i agree with sam to some extent despite it being obvious right because i do believe that morality is obvious you know um you still have to do the work to answer why it's obvious and i think sam doesn't want to do that um Later on, we actually see him kind of, you know, expand on this idea a little bit more. He writes, as we better understand the brain, we will increasingly understand all the forces, kindness, reciprocity, trust, openness to argument, a respect for evidence, intuitions of fairness, impulse control, the mitigation of aggression, etc., that allow friends and strangers to collaborate successfully on the common projects of civilization. Understanding ourselves in this way and using this knowledge to improve human life will be among the mo- will be among the most important challenges to science in the decades to come. I love how I got reciprocity right and then couldn't say among. That sucks. <laughs> um, but but the interesting thing about all of that Ben is all of those things that he talks about that are in the brain state, right? That he just takes for granted are good, are all value judgments made outside of science. Yeah. And so the the question the question that is just becomes almost annoying to the point with Sam is why in the world do you think those are good? And if the answer is well it's obvious, then the answer is why is it obvious? Because it's not obvious that it should be that way. And I think this is the thing that um, you have even when you begin to ask a scientific question is um, you know where do you look first for evidence? You've already placed a value judgment. You've already started. You've already begun, when you even begin to draft your hypothesis, you're starting to create value judgments. And Sam never wants to do the, the thing that's so interesting is, you know, Sam considers himself a philosopher, and you would say that this is the question a philosopher is most concerned with. Sam is the least concerned with it. He is more concerned with the, um, he's far more concerned with the science surrounding it. And it's, um, and I think, I think, the modern experiment has proven that this is exactly something we need to be concerned with. Mm-hmm. Um, be- because I think secular liberalism liberalism um, has no combat against moral relativism until this is answered, until we know where morality comes from. Um, I'm anyway, backtracking a I'm bit, sorry. but the interesting yeah, part about ahead. that is that it makes me think that Sam is kind of relying on the preset western culture of morality in order to make these arguments can you imagine if he was in the mongols uh back when genghis khan was raiding um sorry audience that we keep talking about rape but rape as a part of war was something completely culturally accepted then and that wouldn't have been something that messed his brain scans up the reason that his brain Mm. scans aren't going to be 
or are going to go haywire when, when rape is mentioned is because there's a very strong Western ethic against sexual assault, which is a fantastic thing. But you have to have that if you want to make Sam Harris's arguments. It's also a very interesting question in the moral relative and the uh, moral landscape. I'm, I'm swapping those terms a little bit. Apologies. But the moral landscape, um, because it's very, this is a disgusting thing to think about, but it's very possible that the Mongol in that situation is having what could be considered bliss in his brain state by all the factors that Sam would have had yep. scientifically able to oh, that's uh, terrible, decipher but yep. Right. But, but, and then I don't even need to say the other side of that, uh, that equation, right? You've already, uh, you've already done my homework for me. Um, and the question is which side wins? And that's not, and you could say, well, it would be the, and I think Sam might say it would be the state where everybody is, um, is experiencing bliss. And then the obviously next question is, well, what if it's better for me to take? Yeah. Right? What if that, what if me taking is actually so much sweeter than letting you have anything? And that, and that I think is the problem of evil that Sam never wants to really deal with. Um, the the only, I just want to give Sam a little credence. And I did think about that argument and I think Sam's response would be, his his idea is to minimize suffering, not sure. merely promote well-being. So I think he would come out and say the person who is experiencing the sexual violence is not um, avoiding suffering in, in the slightest. And, and that's what would make it an immoral act. What do you think about that? I think that's a good point, Ben. Um, I think there are times, especially in the psychopath example in the book, where Sam actually really struggles with that. Like, there are possible moral landscapes that are just at the peak of human well-being with psychopaths in charge as there are when they are not. Um, and those landscapes, here, here's the question. If you aren't going to answer for me how we're, how we're judging moral landscapes, it becomes very, very easy for me to manipulate the criteria that we mm. judge landscapes on. So like, if one way the psychopath is winning in a way that he could win nowhere else, then your argument's a little mute to me, you know, because like you might be trying to mitigate suffering, but what if I could make a paradise with suffering, right? That's the communist dream to some extent, right? Mm. And so it's like, and so it's like, well, it's difficult to know that's not worth pursuing if you're only, you know, it. it's difficult to know if that's not worth pursuing if, if as Sam has kind of given us morality, it's not based in anything. Yeah. If it's if it's just based in good mental brain states, then it's hard to know that answer. And if you don't do the hard work of, I, we're going to say this 800,000 times, if you don't do the hard work of grounding your morals in a bedrock, then it's very easy to push that around at almost every turn. So anyway. In some sense, he really is the perfect philosopher for the 21st century sort of people. <laughs> he kind mm. of is the perfect millennial philosopher because he skips. Wow. He would hate that. I, he would hate that. Sam, if you're listening, I'm sorry. What? How did you find us? <laughs> yeah, Thank no God. Doubt. Please retweet. Um, yeah. Please retweet the show, Please retweet. Sam. We're sorry. We didn't mean it. And come on the show. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is. I, I feel like the mo we, we're so infatuated with information and getting information fast. And Sam provides that. He skips all the groundwork that has been done for the past 7,000 years and just gives you the conclusion right up front. He's like, and science can make it happen. And to some degree that yeah. feels really good. But I, I love the point you keep coming back to. 
You have to have a foundation if you want to ground morality in anything. And believe it or not, you will have a foundation. Sam has a foundation. His foundation is just a moving target and is more relativistic than I think he knows. So, Hunter... Yeah, I can't... I don't have the quote available with me at the moment, but I think it's just a... Um, Sam even makes a point about some... I can't remember the a priori... Um, oh, that reason is good. And at the beginning of his book, he says, how long should we <laughs> should we sit on the topic that reason is good? I think the sentence I've already penned is too long. And... It, it's kind of the problem underneath the the entire thing is like, well, you know, if you didn't want to prove the case in this book and you wanted someone else to carry the water for you, fine. But maybe you should have just pointed in that direction, yeah. you know, um, and it just it, it it's not it's not satisfying, nor is it useful. There's a certain I think that's good enough. Yeah, I Last uh, last thing on this, I just want to end with a quote. Um, on page 43, he's describing a conversation that he had, I believe, with a journalist. She says, can't remember. What makes you think that science will ever be able to say that forcing women to wear burkas is wrong? Sam replied, because I think that right and wrong are a matter of increasing or decreasing well-being. And it is obvious that forcing half of the population to live in cloth bags and beating or killing them if they refuse is not a good strategy for maximizing human well-being. So I think that's just the epitome of everything we've been talking about. He's not wrong. Mm. It is obvious. Mm. It is absolutely mm. obvious. God says that he has written his law on our hearts. And somewhere in the New Testament, I can't remember off the top of my head, he equates, an author equates that idea with conscience. It's like, what is conscience? And it's a bit of that divinity inside of you that is just screaming constantly to telling you what you ought to do and ought not to do. And to take that for granted is, I think, really misguided. So, mm. Hunter, mm. anything mm. on that like before that. we hit point three? No, actually, I, 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 I do. Stop talking. Uh, you're welcome. Yeah, fair. Uh, Hunter, I, I did want to ask this question before we wrap up, because if you're in the audience, you've probably figured out by now. Hunter is awesome at answering questions, and I love asking them. Hunter, I is this just fancy hedonism? And by the way, if That's anyone an listening doesn't question. know, hedonism is just saying that life is about the pursuit of pleasure. Eat, drink, and be merry is the slogan of a hedonist. So yeah, Hunter, I is it just fancy hedonism? I really, really like that question, Ben. Um, I, I want to respond with yes, and I think it's proletariat hedonism. This is hedonism for like the upper class, so to speak. You mean right? bourgeoisie? Th- uh, excuse me, did I mix up my terms there? You mixed up your Marxian terms. How dare Excuse you me. oppress? Sure. Sorry. I well, so much for being good at answering questions. Uh, but the but yes, and I think I think it I the I think it has this like um there's this element to it that it's like we're polite society. We know the right way to act. Oh, that's you know, so and good. That, I see what you're saying. And there's that yeah, and so apologies. It would have been so much better had I gotten the terms right. Um, but but you know, and I think I I think 
I think that's exactly um, what Sam is kind of doing here to some extent. It's a little sleight of hand, um, you know, and there is an element even that in the Burka comment too, right? Because it's like we're a very enlightened Western culture. We know that this is wrong. There's oh, no way that so we good. would ever we would we'd ever treat our own people like that. Now, I'm caging in that language appropriate to your question. I do believe it's obvious as well that that's that that's not a good thing to do. But I but I think because there isn't the how you would say um once again the bedrock, right? I think that I think the bedrock is this uh upper class um uh fancy as you put it, so to speak, morality that is kind of taken for granted by everybody who agrees to that to that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I, I'll leave I'll leave it there. Dude, um, that was a fantastic answer. If only right. there was a bedrock or a cornerstone for us to place our morality on. Man, how nice would that be? Oh well, that would be great. Too bad there's not. Yep. Um, so. <laughs> Moving on to the right. third point. <laughs> <laughs> right uh feel free feel free for the counter argument to all this to go listen to the first episode if you haven't heard it we we don't we don't need to spend a whole lot of time there i think we've done more than enough work there and we'll continue to do that next episode literally will be a lot of that right exactly so don't don't expect us by not answering here that we don't have answers um this next point is a slight tangent ben um based on what we've been talking about so far but I think it's also related in a strong way. And that's Sam's um I want you to read the third cons- point, Hunter. I need you to read it. I'm getting there. Okay. <laughs> and that's concerning Sam's philosophy on free will. Or as I would like to say, there ain't no free will. <laughs> so it, I, I'm smart. In equally um, intellectual fashion, we reply to Sam and say, no, Sam, there ain't not no free will. That's really good. That's beautiful. Boom. Um, so, so Sam, and this is something I think you kind of have to take. If you believe what Sam does about how everything about your morals, uh, everything about your mental state can answer the question to your well-being, you have to believe then that every action you take has a cause that starts in your brain. And so free will is kind of out the window with that theory. And if that doesn't make sense to you, I, I apologize. Uh, but do do your mental gymnastics homework on that and kind of think through what that means exactly. Um, Sam, there's nothing that Sam believes that doesn't start um, that doesn't start with a chemical process in your head. And even the consciousness that you have is really a story and a lie that you're telling yourself to make sense of how you're acting. And it's only there because your biology thinks it's appropriate for it to be there because it helps you in some way, possibly even mood regulation. Um, to kind of see Sam's full view on this, I like to read the following. Um, this is him basically saying that, you know, you don't have free will. And he says, to see this is to realize that you are not the author of your thoughts and actions in the way that people generally suppose. This insight does not make social and political freedom any less important, however. The freedom to do what one intends and not to do otherwise is no less valuable than it ever was. Um, that second point, Ben, is the interesting side to this argument that Sam makes is he is adamantly opposed to the idea of free will as we understand it. Um, and believes at the same time 
the value of free will is obvious. There's that word again, right? Um, and I don't think in a world where free will exists, it's not obvious that it's right to treat people like they have free will. In fact, the only reason it would be obvious is if someone got offended at it. Now, if that's the case, we live in a world where there is no f free will, and it's obvious that it's to treat. You can see like how this idea just like kind of crumbles beneath itself really quickly, right? Um, and so, I, I I think I I think this is one of the issues that really once again makes you wonder: Are these scientists in the lab measuring dopamine lying to me? Mm -hmm. Right? Because if they're not the authors of what they're attempting to do, how am I supposed to have any idea that it's actually true? If it's all based on whatever their biology is asking them to do at this moment, then there's no way to actually say there's anything good about it or that there's anything right about it or there's anything scientific about it for that matter. It's all based on whatever their biology is telling them to do. And their biology could be constructed in such a way that is to lie at every opportunity without informing others or myself that that is happening. And there's absolutely no way for anybody to know that. Hmm. And I know that's a, that's, that's a huge thing to claim, but it's a problem. And it's a problem that, once again, like many other problems that are inconvenient for Sam to deal with, he doesn't deal with. Um, or think his, or think his, uh, thinks it's worth his time, <clears throat> so to speak. And you can have that. Uh, you, can, you can agree with Sam on that. I, I understand that perfectly well. But I also think you don't get away from it either. Um, what do you think about the comments Sam made? Uh, regarding free will, Ben? I think determinism is the most logical position an atheist can hold. Let me just start I there. I, I really do. Because if you are going to posit that there is no eternal element to the human, there's no soul or spirit, then we are merely biology. We are We are merely the things that make us up. And if we are merely the things that make us up, we are the result of previous events that have occurred for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction and it just snowballs and has continued snowballing until you got to where you are so really the concept of free will would be to admit that there is something supernatural and i don't mean that in the spooky sense i mean that in the sense that there is something above or outside of the natural world mm. and if mm. that isn't the case then you are the result of natural processes and you are also will be a process so to to mm. one thing like just to give sam credit for the for the 10th time i i love that he does that i think okay good at least honest. You're, just like my conversation with bob that i talked about at the beginning at least you're being consistent mm. at least you're being mm. honest and i also hunter i think this is where the season theme really makes its appearance and and the season theme again is it's better to be righteous than right and hopefully if you've listened to us for more than five minutes you know that we're not saying be dogmatic we're saying pursue something higher and you're not always going to be correct in that pursuit but you need to continue a humble pursuit of that thing dude i think harris is trying to treat people like they're special with no reason to treat people like they're special that's what i think mm. and, and everything mm. you said all i could think about was and all of it would make sense if there was some eternal some supernatural some anything real mm. 
and good about humanity, but an atheistic framework mm. doesn't let you think that. Sure, you can behave in a way that produces well-being, but what is well-being if we're just chemicals? Then well-being really mm. would just be some brain waves. But then you could justify all sorts of horrendous, atrocious things. Like, I'm pretty sure that the the Nazis in Germany thought that they were promoting human well-being by stamping out the Jews. Stalin thought he was promoting human well-being by slaughtering millions of his own citizens in the pursuit of utopia. If you don't believe in the innate value of a human, then I have no earthly idea where you're going to draw on to say that they're that they're valuable. A therapy dog would be worth more than someone with Down syndrome because the therapy dog is producing more well-being in the world. The person with Down syndrome doesn't produce any. Mm. It it just seems like an once you this, and this is where we are getting to the bottom of what Sam believes. And at the bottom, it is it is a terrifying ideology and Hunter, I love what you said about it's a bourgeoisie belief system. It, it's it's bourgeoisie hedonism. I love that. I, I think that really mm. comes out to shine right here. What do you think about our our yeah. big season point? Yeah, it's um, this works as long as everyone's nice, hmm. you know. And and that's 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 kind of that bourgeoisie that I keep returning to. Um, as long as everyone is good, noble, and appropriate um well done sam you you nailed it in one um i think this is i think that good point that you made about you know you know what's the to paraphrase a little bit what's the rational good of humanity right and there's a lot of good bad answers to that question and what I mean by that is there's a lot of really well thought through powerful arguments that are completely morally reprehensible on humanity's yep. worth, such as we're a blight on the planet, right? Anyone that believes that idea, and I think Sam would agree with him, is insane. However, I think... Sam would say it's obvious that they're insane. And I think I would be able to tell them from a moral standpoint why they were. Mm, that's and good. that's the difference. And I think I think um free will is one of the ways that we prove that out to some extent. And I want to say this too. I, I think in a lot of ways there is not a lot of free will in your life. Um you didn't choose to be born. You didn't choose to have whatever um, body that it is you inhabit. Um, you didn't choose the senses that you got to perceive the world with. You didn't get to choose your height. You know, there is, you didn't get to choose the time. There's a huge amount of things that are placed upon you that are simply outside of your choice. And to say you have free will, and Sam makes the same point, is a little ludicrous when you have that many constraints. However, and this is the thing I think that Sam gets wrong, is it's unprovable, which is why it's unobjectively provable, except from your own experience as what it is to be a human being and have a and have a conscience, 
is the only way to say it. You do have the decision of right now, what do you do? Right? It's like, or maybe a simpler way to put it is what do you want to do right now? And at every opportunity, you can answer that with however you want. And you can even answer it so poorly that people will throw you in an insane asylum because they simply won't know what to do with you. But all of those possibilities are available to you. Um, and I think for, I think no matter what you want to say, as long as that, as long as that exists, as long as I have the ability to change what it is that I'm doing right now, then I think free will exists. And I think, I don't, I don't know how exactly. And I think that's what most people mean too, when they're talking about free will and lack of free will. And I think that's why the conversation gets muddy is because Sam will tell you all the ways that you don't have free will. And someone will say, but I do have free will. I put on my pants today, you know, and things like that. And I, you know, and, but I think as long as we have that piece of it right there, as long as we take into account all the things that have happened to us and we still realize that we actually have the ability to make decisions within that, that's free will. Mm. And that's all that that's, that's all there is to it. Um, so one of my favorite um, moments with free will is in the TV show, the good place. And one character starts getting into this deterministic nightmare where she's like, I don't even have free will and it doesn't exist and I can't do anything. And one of the characters just takes a giant cup of iced tea and just pours it slowly onto her head. And she's just sitting there terrified and goes, you're being dumb. And I just used my free will to show you that. And it was just hilarious because it, <laughs> to some degree it is exactly what you're describing. But it, but it was a silly reminder of, yeah, people do bizarre out of the box things, which is... Not the world's best argument, but it is certainly fun. And Hunter, mm -hmm. let's let's start to wrap this puppy up. Because yeah. we don't really have a fourth point, but we do have a bit of an outro that we that Hunter and I briefly mentioned before we talk or before we began the show. And Hunter, I pulled a clip or a quote from his from his TED talk on this book, and I'd like to read it to you. He Please. says, They, meaning Christians, or sorry, meaning religious people. They think that they got right answers to moral questions because they got these answers from a voice in a whirlwind, not because they made an intelligent analysis of the causes and conditions of human and animal well-being. And the thing we'd like to wrap up by, by telling you, audience, and ourselves, is a biblical quote from the book of Joshua, I think chapter 24, where... It writes, choose this day whom you will serve. It is, it is clear to me that Sam Harris is serving something. Sam Harris has mm -hmm. chosen to give his life in service of human well-being. And that may sound extremely noble to you when you hear me say it like that. But human well-being is a pretty piss poor God to worship. That is the idol that he has chosen to bow at. And you have to decide what you're going to bow to. Humans don't have an option to not have their life be about something. And whatever their life is about is the thing that they will serve. And I think we want to wrap this up by saying, choose this day whom you will serve. Because it's literally what your life is about. Hunter? Yeah, I think, I think that's killer. And I think there's this there's a couple of places i notice this in reading sam's book where it's almost like you see through the page 
through what's what's truly motivating Sam to some extent. And it's almost you almost kind of like blink when you read it and go, did that just happen? Um, I'm going to I'm just going to read this and then I'll probably do the exposition on top of it. If a person cares about something that is not compatible with a peak of human flourishing, given the requisite changes in his brain, he would recognize that he was wrong to care about this thing in the first place. Wrong in what sense? Wrong in the sense that he didn't even know what he was missing. The key point to pay attention to that is, given the requisite changes in his brain. If you read this in the context of that paragraph, Sam's actually making a point for changing people's brain chemistry so that they perceive the moral peaks as the highest good, right? And it's like, it's hard to know what that point is for him, Ben, because it sometimes it feels like it, it reason to some extent is the thing that he actually bows to. Mm. And, um, Human well, human flourishing is definitely something that he bows to, and it is so important to Sam to achieve either of those points, whichever one it is, that he will sacrifice defects in individual individuality in others to see that come to pass. Um, I think there's other points where his book proves that point out as well. Is that right? <laughs> Hunter, I think that's absolutely right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, is that a moral thing to do? Oh, no. Exactly. And I think I think that's I think that is fundamentally the problem of not answering the question. Hmm. Of not putting the bedrock down is because you'll lose sight in your quest for what's obvious and what you're actually attempting to do. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't start off from the right, if you don't have a compass, if you don't have the compass, you'll lose your way. I think that's just the best way to say it. And I think it's moments like that in the, in the text where it becomes more than obvious that Sam is without the compass. Sam is, is Sam has led you into dark woods that she doesn't know how to get out of. Um, and it's noble. It's brave. It's all for the right reasons, and it's completely off the map. Um, but I, I, and I think that's why it's, it's. I think it's why it's a good thing to read this book and to understand it, so that you understand that. Um, and we will talk more about this. But intelligence cannot possibly begin to answer all the questions that morality will lay before it. There we go. Boom. Man, I I had a blast. I love doing this podcast because these were conversations we were already have having. And now right. we get to have them in a little more direct method where we decide three things that we're going to talk about beforehand. Um, thank yeah. you for joining us. We, we really hope that if you're listening, that you're going to choose this day whom you will serve. We really hope that you take a hard look at that compass that Hunter was just talking about and you figure out what you are pointing your life at and what you are using to get you there. That that's the whole reason we're making the show is we think it's important for people to start thinking about stuff like this, but Hey, thank you for joining, joining us on the leather bound podcast. 
We might have made social medias at some point. You can follow Hunter on Twitter and Instagram at Emotional Carl. You can follow me absolutely nowhere until I decide if I want my Instagram and Twitter to become public. <laughs> and one day maybe we'll yeah. even make a Twitter or whatever for the show. Who freaking knows? Thank you for joining us. Please continue. We're going to have another five books that we're covering here on Leatherbound. Talk to you soon. Adios, kiddos. It's not the best tagline, but you know, whatever. We'll polish that up.